right. We're here in the studios at American, K-I-N. We're, we're, uh, diversity is our culture. And here we have who I know as, as Lancer, B-Boy Lancer. What up? What up? What up? Welcome. And um, how long have we known each other? Uh, that's a really good question. I'd say 2004, 2005. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I felt like I started coming into the scene when I was about 16. Okay. Started breaking in 2001. I was about 13, so three years. Yeah, 2004, 2005. All right. Yeah. Okay. And you're still in San Diego, right? Yes. Cool. All yes, right. And real, real quick, what's your background again? And were you born here or first, second generation? Oh, yeah. Um, I was born in Hoi Sai, Laos, um, small country in Southeast Asia. I came to America right before I was two years old, so 1989. I was born in 88. Um, been raised in San Diego, so I would say I'm pretty much San Diegan. Okay, cool. And you, you're a skater, too. Yes. That's right. Yes. That's right. So when did you start breaking? Um, I started breaking December 2001. Uh, skating was my first love. That's what I always call it. Skating is my first love. And then uh, I started breaking in, yeah, December 2001. Okay. Um, going into diversity, um, how was it growing up where in the States for how old you were? So, um, I was, I was raised in Southeast San Diego, mm -hmm. um, and where I was, was Market Street and Imperial. I, I would say it was heavily, um, uh, Mexican, Chicano, uh, black, and, and for the Asians, it, it would be mainly Lao folks actually. So a lot of Lao, there was a huge Lao community in where I was because, um, Market Street had, if I think it was the original, um, Theravada Lao Buddhist temple in America. So when, when a lot of uh, refugees and a lot of immigrants uh, from Laos, when they came to America, they always, you know, congregated to the centers and the centers was mainly the Buddhist temples. Okay. And um, so I, I feel like where I grew up, um, it was uh, a lot of people of color, you know, but mainly Mexican, black and, and Lao folks. Uh, I mean, other Asians as well, but. All right. And did you feel um, segregated? Did you feel separated? Did you feel accepted? Um, no, I didn't, I didn't feel Within segregated your neighborhood. at all. Yeah. I mean, I didn't feel segregated at all. Um, before a lot of like, you know, a lot of the younger folks, when we were growing up again, we were skating a lot. I, I, I love skating and I would like the people in my neighborhood, uh, I consider all of them like kind of like my younger brothers and sisters, you know? Okay. So I would get them to skate. Like I would try to cause a trend so that they could like, cause there was a lot of gang, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of gang stuff going on. Um, but in our neighborhood, everyone was cool. Like we knew like this was our spot to play, you know, football, to go skate around the block. Um, I, I think like the, the hate was more from gangs that were a lot of ethnic conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of like, a lot of gangs were ethnic within themselves. So they would fight each other based off of that. But I didn't feel segregated, you know, maybe there was like a lot of conflict going on, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah I, I, I didn't feel like, um, I feel like it was more about tension and, and coming okay. of age versus like being flat out racist. Got it. No, yeah. I, I mean, for me, when I started skating, 86, something like that, 86, 88. Mm -hmm. And my group of friends, we had, you know, diverse groups of people, but mm -hmm. it was all about skating and skills. 
Yep. And that's what's dope about hip hop. Yep. Don't matter where you come from, but mm-hmm. we have this uh, commonality. Oh, you break? Like, let's exchange. Yeah. And what we, who you are, what you look like, didn't matter. Yep. You just understood the movement and the love for music. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, cool. and, and skating was like that too early on because it was like, um, you would be the best on this block. You would be the best on that block. And that block, I'd be like, I want to play skate against these cats because that's the commonality. Everyone was like, yo, this dude is dope in skating. Or um, um, people would ride bikes too. But like, I'd be like, I'll, I challenge that guy to skate, you know, let's play whoever the illest person is. And like, for me, it was a good way to connect with people mm-hmm. because like, I wasn't into the other stuff that they were doing, right? I wasn't really into the other things. We didn't go to the same school. We didn't have the same cliques, but we were all cool because we were skaters. And then that kind of translated into breaking itself. Like it was like a natural transition when we all started breaking. It was like we all knew each other already. We all wanted to break. You That's know? what's up. Let's go into that. So you skated for how long? I would say seven years, eight years. And then you got in the yeah. hip hop. Yep. Okay. So I, I was about um, 13, I believe, when I, um, when I made the decision. So, you know, growing up, I had a lot of cousins, a lot of people on the block. They were all gangsters too, but they were breaking. They actually liked breaking and I wasn't really into it, but I would see people dance to like freestyle music, you know, Stevie B. Oh, yeah. They would bump, you know, bump music, freestyle music on their hatchbacks, you know, and, and rave music, right? But they would be doing like flares and windmills or like whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was cool, but at that time I was heavy into skating. But then, then subliminally, like I just, I think it helped because I went to the library to, um, to look up breaking stuff. This is crazy. Like back when there's dial up at Malcolm X library, I didn't have internet at home. Wow. Um, I would go to the library and for some reason I was like, Oh, let me look up some breaking stuff, you know? And then at the mall, Mr. Rags. Oh yes. Right. Remember Mr. Rags. Wow. You're dating yourself, but yeah, yeah, I do. I do remember. Yeah. Plaza Bonita. And, and I would see breaking videos at the time. I didn't know, but the video I saw was rock force versus the family. Wow. Because they were doing, I remember that scene where they were all doing like up rocking. Yeah, yeah. Right? And then. Um, I think that was 99. 99. Yeah, yeah. But the, they, would, they would play that tape. I mean, that was like the end thing, even if it was like early 2000s, right? But um, I kept seeing it, kept seeing it. When we finally had internet at home, I was like, let me, let me see what some breaking stuff is, you know? And I saw like really from Kazaa, bro, like Napster and, <laughs> and like that LimeWire era, mm-hmm. right? I was looking up breaking clips, you know, and there was like battle of the year clips, like highlights. I was watching a bunch of highlights and I just got sucked into it. I got sucked into the music because it was all funky and I didn't know people were breaking to this stuff because, you know, like um, I was growing up to like rock music and gangster rap. Okay. Like rock music and gangster rap were like my thing in the radio, you know, and alternative rock, like freestyle music. But I didn't, I never really heard breaks. I never really heard funk like in that regard and people were breaking to it. Okay. So then I spent like an entire month of absorbing information from the library and like from my, from my home when I finally had like internet and, and whatnot. And um, December, 2001, I remember I was like, I'm gonna buy these videos online, like how to break. It was called How to Break Dance, right? <laughs> By Mikey Garcia. And it was a freaking- um, That's great. And um, even during that time, I was borrowing videos from my uh, soon to be crewmates, you know, okay. at the time in middle school, I was, uh, not downloading. I was borrowing like VHSs from like um, all my Filipino homies, right? And and one of them or two of them were the nephew of uh, Charles from Soul Control. So I was watching like oh wow Cujo solo videos, okay. you know, like solo videos from Cujo, Out for Fame West Coast Finals. I was just watching like all this breaking stuff, and I was like, whoa, like 
this is this is some real this is some real shit and you connected to that yeah and and that's what started it all and i was like i gotta learn how to break like i'm learning but i gotta i gotta buy some more videos and learn and that's what really kicked it off um like I could keep going on about how things started, but that was pretty much the no, catalyst. Was, yeah, 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 that was a good foundation. And then it spread from there with jams in San Diego. Yeah, because yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't, you know, obviously there's, there's some street stuff, right? So you taught yourself. And for me, I watched videos, soaked it all up, try to break, and then try to teach my friends and my homies and my little brother. Well, that's a that's a gen, that's a a golden generation for B-Boys and just hip-hop. Where yeah. Our crew did the same thing. We yeah. looked for tapes exchanged them and then we went into the lab the garage and we just studied each other and we yep. helped each other you know yep. not like nowadays it's completely different like yeah. if you want it you dig and dig and dig and dig and you could appreciate that it's yeah. not you're not feeding yourself with a silver spoon yeah i love that i love that way hip-hop like the the, the digging mm-hmm. i think it's underrated now people don't really know about the digging right the digging for knowledge or like the search for it mm-hmm. within yourself and within the people around you oh well, yeah that like, exactly yeah i should have bought linoleum and put it in my front yard right where like there were trees things were falling on us and i would sweep every like three minutes you know but i was breaking and people were like man that's funny man why let's go skate they were like yo this is whack they're like breaking is dead this is 2001 2002 right mm-hmm. like the summer when we we're just all trying to explore ourselves too and i was like no nah, this is dope like i like this and and then eventually like the fever caught on to others you know oh yeah but yeah. rolling out that six by eight linoleum in the front yard man like in the dirtiest places you know like that's where things became organic and, okay and you're right it's like no garage but still a front yard kind mm-hmm. of thing so hip-hop you know i love that so what was your first jam in san diego um my very first i, I would call it like um it was a hip-hop function it was a pokies thing the cypher the cypher yeah okay. so my my older cousin he started seeing that i was really into breaking okay and he was like oh like let me take you to a spot and i was in high school right so i had i had school the next day i, I believe it was a thursday night and um he was like let me take you to, uh, to a spot i forgot where it was but it was a cafe joint yeah it was hot monkey love there you go hot yeah, monkey yeah. love cafe so um i went and i was I, I was breaking there and it w- it just felt so hip hop. Like, you know, so like, that was a, I was a kid. Wow. I probably very, didn't very, recognize very you first. at that point because yeah. we were battling Sasso and Godoyski. Oh, really? That's, how, that's when yeah. they got in. And, well, more Sasso got in at Hot Monkey Love. Yeah. And, well, that night, there was only, I, I believe there was only one other B boy besides me. It, it must have been a quiet um, decipher night, like a Hot Monkey Love night. Because mm-hmm. it was me and then it was this guy from Boston it's crazy i can't believe i forgot his name now because we were like cool for a little bit um but i forgot his name but it was like we weren't battling but we were break like we were ciphering okay um, but it was just me and him so like it wasn't a battle though you know got it um there was no competition too at that at that particular one it was people just actually ciphering (laughs) right like and then we would be breaking we would be ciphering too but that was like my very first taste of like outside of southeast san diego like outside my front yard kind of thing exciting yeah and i was like again i was like 15 or 16 like i got i had school the next day kind of thing you know my cousin took me out i came Mm -hmm. home at like 12 like that was unheard of for me like it it was just so dope and then my first breaking jam was uh the elemental at the mac community charter school wow yeah i was my first one man and my very first battle was against sasso and eddie (laughs) 
I think, well, they were the ones, they were the people we lost to, Beans and Rice. And there was a third guy. Okay. I forgot. But we did a prelim battle, I believe. And I battled, I didn't battle with my crew at the time. I battled with people in high school that I went, uh, that I battled with or like that I went to school with, you know? Okay. But that was my first jam. And uh, I remember it to this day, man, because that was when um, I called out Jeremy from GFX. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We were kind of rivals and, that was when me and Dino started hearing about each other. So <laughs> oh. we were starting to be rivals. But um, yeah, I remember battling uh, Sasso and Eddie. There was a third guy, but I keep forgetting who it was. But um, I remember that because Eddie, I remember talking to Eddie, like outside the, the Mac Community Charter School. Eddie from? From Rock So Rock Fresh. Fresh. Yes, Eddie okay. from Rock So Fresh. And uh, it was crazy. He was like, man, yeah, keep at it, man. You know, like you're, you're really young in this game and like keep training and like you're going to fall in love with this and um like you keep going and i keep bringing it up to him because like he remembers that day when <laughs> when i talked to him you know and that was when i met a lot of cats like so i met um shamrock i believe yes. and i met um well i met pokey from the cypher and then there was another guy that shamrock did music with but he was he was the person that um talking about promoters for events yeah, but he was he also did music. He was also an MC. Yeah, he was an MC. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was weird because that was when freestyle session boards were were popping, and that's how I found out about the jam. That's right, freestylesession.com. Yeah, yeah, and we, me and my brother were helping out set up the jam just because we wanted to check it out, and that was how I connected with um, the Mac Community Charter School. Because then after that, I was teaching breaking over there. Oh wow. In high school, yeah. Wow. So, so have you always been like in cultures or diverse in many cultures, I should say, like diverse yes. cultures, skating, uh, breaking, and then expanding outside your community and seeing like other mm -hmm. ethnicities. Um, so let's, and then you moved out of San Diego. Yep. Um, when was that? So I moved out. I graduated from East Lake High in 2006. And I went to Berkeley fall 2006. Oh, was that a culture shock for you? Because I know San Francisco was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a big city. Like not even big city. I'm, I just meant by population mm -hmm. and, and a lot of like different cultures are there. Yeah, um, really, really cool story with that. Um, I so straight up like I didn't really have a role model when it came to like anything. I would say like. I had inspirations. I had people I looked up to, but I didn't really have people in terms of like, where do you go for the next mm -hmm. step in life? And I don't want to make this about me, but I remember Danny, Bug Eye Bandit, Rock Bandit, talking to me like, hey, there's this Lancer guy I'm going to send to you. And I remember you coming up to me and I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I'll, I'll throw out some knowledge. So yeah. That's cool. That's cool that you're still digging even yeah. after high school. Yeah, so I actually want to get into that because I want to let you know about that too. That was really great. Okay. Um, so what happened was I was applying to Berkeley or like a bunch of UC schools. I, I was uh, applying to UC schools and other colleges and, and no one really helped me. Like I didn't really know about anything. I didn't know how to do the application processes. I had a homie that gave me a book to read, like a book to read how to apply to colleges. You know what I mean? It wasn't like the internet. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... and um, like, I had no idea that Berkeley was, like, the number one public university and, and, and all these things. Like, I just didn't know. Like, yeah, I studied. I try to explore the world in a way I can, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, when you're from San Diego, too, like, you just 
and I didn't really have people to tell me certain things about the next step in, in high school. People just said, go to college. And being from an immigrant family, right? Mm-hmm. Your family is trying to survive being from like a family, like my entire family from Laos. Uh, not an entire, but like the folks, a lot of folks that came, they were refugees. They're trying to survive. They're trying to live, right? Mm-hmm. And we out here in Southeast where it's like pretty difficult, you know? And so they say, go to college. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Or like, what do you mean go to college? Like, what am I trying to, what am I trying to do? You mm-hmm. know? So I had all these questions in my head, um, but I got accepted to Berkeley. And then that was when I was starting to hear about all these things. But I also got accepted to UCSD. I got rejected from a bunch of other places. And that, that was when I was in the freestyle session board saying, hey, uh, how's the Bay Area scene like? Because I have no idea. Like San Diego is a vastly different city from SF, from Oakland, correct, correct. from Berkeley, from San Jose and all that. And it was uh, Bug Eye Bandit. It was Danny that said, hey, man, what's your number? And I, I gave him my number. I think we we're on AIM chat or something, <laughs> you know? And he's like, give me your number. He's like, let me give you a call. Because at that time, he was living up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he gets on the phone with me for like two hours, almost three hours. And one of the first questions I asked him was like, yo, man, can I, can I actually break up there? Like, is there, like, would I be able to break? Like, I didn't even, yeah, I think school was important, but I was like, can I still break? Like, is there a place for me to practice up there consistently? And he was like, dude, there's a, there's a practice spot at Cal at Berkeley. And he was telling me about how the Bay Area scene was like. And it just sounded like gold to me, mm-hmm. you know, because like for me, I love San Diego. I love the community. I love my culture. But I, I felt like I needed to grow. I felt like it, it just wasn't enough. Like I needed to go and be somewhere on my own. Like I like I'm kind of like the loner type when it comes to like figuring things out mm-hmm. and growing as a person. So I was like, I need to go there. Well, I know, you know, I knew you as a B-boy and then I learned you were a skater. And I was like, OK, mm mm-hmm. And now you have, uh, you do photography as well. Yeah. And you have your own book as poetry, right? Yeah. So you're pretty diverse in the arts. I mean, how how did that help you out? I mean, not to sidetrack you, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I was writing, I was writing poetry since uh, late sixth grade, seventh grade. But it was very like the angsty, you got hormones, you're going through puberty. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I had a lot of um, pent-up emotions. And growing up where we come from, you could convert it in many different ways. But I always wanted to convert it in, like, expression and curiosity. So that's why skating was so dope to me because it was, like, aggressive but super dope, super stylish. That's why I was so attracted to hip-hop because you create something from nothing and you could change your energy. You could convert your, your energy and your emotions and you could be expressive through breaking, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, so what writing was a, another medium where I could write things out. It was because you know, I'm good at keeping things in, but if I want to express it, it would hopefully be in the form of art, right? Mm-hmm. A medium. So I was writing up until then. I, I didn't really care much about it, but... When I was in Berkeley, I took a class called Poetry for the People. And I had a really good mentor, Marcos Ramirez. He kind of kind of like was the catalyst to say, man, like you have a voice in poetry. Like here's all the techniques that you can learn. Let's unpack this, you know. And throughout that entire class, 
we unpacked it and I found a voice in poetry where I couldn't find it in fantasy, in fiction or nonfiction writing, short story. I used to write plays. I actually wrote a lot, but I, w- I was never really confident or passionate in my work. But it was until I took that class where I was like, wow, writing can be so powerful. Absolutely. And, and at, that, at that point, I was still thinking about my history and my family's history and the war that, you know, that brought our families and the Lao community here and the Southeast Asian community here. And I was learning at all these things. And then one of the biggest things that hit me in that class was write or be written. Ah, and what they were trying to say. Nice. Yeah, it was June Jordan's uh, Poetry for the People. And June Jordan and that whole class was like, if you're not going to write about your story, someone else will. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's already a colonial way of thinking, right? Like in terms of someone else is going to come in and write about your story correct? And, and skew it. So if you have the power, you have the knowledge, you have the skills, write about your story, you know? And I was like, oh, I found a purpose and I found my voice. That's good. So that was with poetry. And I kept writing poetry through like many, many years. And that's how the book eventually came along. Because I was like, I could write about all these poems, but... It was just a dream and a goal for me to be legitimate about it, to say, here is a book, like an official book from a press. doesn't matter if it was big or small. But I signed with uh, Satu Press, which is a Lao American publishing press. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're still expanding, but I wanted to rock with them because I was sending out all my manuscripts and all my stuff to other publishing presses and they weren't taking it. So it's just like college ex- acceptances, right? All you need is one. And then you, you go from there. So I was getting all these rejections. Mm-hmm. They gave me an opportunity and I was like, I'll rock with it because we need to empower our own community. Like we need to inspire other Lao writers or That's other right. Southeast Asian writers, other, other writers from any position, anything that I could connect with. I want to inspire them to be like, you can write too because where we come from, and you know this, a lot of people, a lot of young men too, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, we get into a lot of difficulties, a lot of trouble, right? Jail, gangs, drugs a lot um, of bad influence just a lot of bad pressure <laughs> and, and i get i'm not saying like oh they're the bad guys they're not man they're we're all products of our environment some people can adapt and adjust to it others people other people stick by it right so then my goal was like those people are strong too they have voices they have men and women whatever you want to call yourself right like people over there where we come from they're strong people they're expressive they have love and they have challenges they have passions mm-hmm. they just don't know how to articulate it so like if if there's anything i could do for my community to be like yeah you could do it too you could you could be a writer you could be a dancer you could be a skater you could be a community leader but you know that now because of your path yes because of what you've done yeah so and and i just hope to like share that and that's why i stuck with satu press and nice um, that's why i'm still writing and in photography we could talk about that a little bit after but yeah that was 2012 that was when i lived in vegas nice and so, that was like a different motivation so what so what advice or, or suggestion or anything of everything that you have done helping you understand yourself or being open-minded to different cultures um everything that have you done that that, that, that help you uh, looking like just thinking back like a blessing of all the things you have done? Yes, because my experience with diversity is the fact that for some reason uh, early on in life, I noticed people struggling, 
right? And then I noticed that we had a lot in common, you know? We play two-hand touch football. We play skate. Next thing you know, mom and dad is calling you to go back home to eat, right? Mm -hmm. And then, like, because I saw that kind of um, emotions and love from, from people when we were kids, you know, some of them grew up, they became gangs or uh, gangsters, whatever. Mm -hmm. Some grew up and became their own kind of people, no matter what they are. But we always saw eye to eye. We're like, yeah, we, we were the same kids growing up on the block. And, and that's where I was like, oh, you know, this is where you could see how we want to talk about American and diversity. Mm -hmm. Like, you start to find certain experiences, cer certain human drives. And I felt like it helped me because... I didn't, I, I didn't grow up being the only Asian dude. I grew up a lot of times being the only Lao person. That mm -hmm. empowered me to tell people about my story, my community. But in terms of diversity, I could see how like people just want to do cool shit in their lives. People just want to do stuff and exist. Oh, yeah. I, you know? I can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, people want to exist. We want to celebrate our identity. And um, it, it wasn't about superiority. That was the greatest thing, right? You, we didn't. I don't think anyone wanted to be way better than the other. No, it's it's pride for what you came from and what you could do and what you yeah. achieved. Yeah. And then you you start to see people's perspectives. Um, for me, early on, so I felt like I was blessed with that, because some people they realize their identity in college. The first thing you do when you I realize it, you you get pissed off about all the all the imperialistic things, all the Western mm -hmm. influences and aspects of colonialism that, that hit your community and your peoples, which is a very valid thing. But I would say that because I was able to hear stories and read things early on in my life, I was able to um, grow and evolve and change or like help in terms of um, expressing those certain things instead of just getting mad about it all the time. Oh, yeah, a lot you know? more understanding. Yeah. Yeah, and then, I, I get and then it. You could process it. You know, so I, I felt like that was a, a really great thing of, of, of coming up like that. Oh, <laughs> so you've, you've been around uh, all up in West Coast and uh, uh, experienced a lot through your own uh, expression and, and others. Um, is there a time uh, um, where you had to struggle with adversity? Yes. So um, I will say this, this is what happens a lot, right? Um, Here's my biggest struggle, and if you want to talk about adversity of like identity and ethnicity, right? Barely anybody knew. We're not even going to talk about the Asian stereotypes, okay? Right? Well, we will, we will. But okay. <laughs> I'm saying that first of all, not too many people knew who were like Lao people were or people of Laos. No one even knew the country of Laos. Me with me growing up. Okay, right? okay. No one. Even to this day, no one knows like the war that happened. Everyone hears about the Vietnam War, right? And then you never heard about um, the reason why Laos was the most bombed country per capita in the history of the world right now. Like we're the most bombed country. No one knows that because it was a secret war. You know, there was an operative that brought us to America, right? The reason why I bring that up is because you become a minority in a minority. Got it. You know? You, I'm, I'm loud. Sometimes I was the only loud person. And with our community, here's another fact. Lao folks um, are the least likely to get into college out of all Asians. Lao 
Hmong, Cambodian were like the lowest in terms of Asians. Um, why? It's because, like I said, like where we grew up in our, our, our the whole refugee pattern, right? You throw us into these neighborhoods to survive and no, no kind of programs to help us push up, right? So I'm out here trying to figure all these things out, trying to, trying to tell people about who Lao people are, you know, okay. and, and, and our history and, and all of that. Now you go to Berkeley, you start to realize about um, how uh, I could count how many people in my hand who are Lao. Really? Less than 10, right? And, and again, like, you, you, from, from my perspective, you start to see, yeah, we're diverse, but we're not, you know, like, I don't connect with a lot of East Asian, East Asian Americans, nothing on them. But I don't, I don't connect the same way as them. And I think the problem, with, um, the problem with a lot of Asians is we get packed together, right? We think oh, yeah. our experiences yeah, yeah. are mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. Think the Filipino, I grew up with way more Filipinos than I did with Chinese. Or, and I'm sure people come to you and, oh, you must be yeah. nothing but Lao, right? Correct? Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah. Laos is the last thing on our mind, mm-hmm. right? So just the, the idea of feeling a mi- being a minority within a minority was already motivation for me to bring visibility, right? And to empower people within my own community who never saw anyone do much, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So there was always like, like I said, I never, I never really saw that kind of role model. So I was like, let me be that kind of person. Let me inspire others, others to be role models for people in our community as well. I think that was a, the main challenge that I had and I used all my art to make it that way, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing too is when you're publishing as a writer, right? At the time, there wasn't many writers. Um, a lot of people of color were really awesome, were really dope writers even to this day, right? But when you publish, it, it goes back to money, right? It goes back to oh, like yeah, who yeah. can sell and, and mm-hmm. like who are, the, who are the biggest sellers? Who are the people? The other thing too, right? Like, Again, not, nothing on European and famous writers that were dead or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But I never heard about poets that were writing about the certain struggles that I resonated with. We were all learning about white authors. Oh, right, right. White, mm-hmm. white poets. And again, nothing on that. I'm just saying that how can you resonate with sometimes, right? We're studying these things. Then when you're trying to publish, how do you... You know, how do you tap into that? Because you already know poetry doesn't sell. Or that, that's a known fact um, in general. Okay. But the poets that do sell are a certain demographic, right? Makes sense. And, I mean, you even want to talk about... Uh, a lot of my poetry, too, was about deconstructing the notion of... Um, you know, growing up, you look at media, right? And you, you look at the lack of diversity in films... And how they represent Asian men, you know. I see that. So like, making them demasculine, making them the foreign enemy, making them uh, exotic, exotic, mm-hmm. or like f- for for men, desexualized men, mm-hmm. um, non-masculine, you know. And like, what I love about now, which a lot of people are pitching into, is like we're complicated creatures. All of us, doesn't matter what background we are, right? Mm-hmm. But like, the lack of diversity kind of hindered certain opportunities as well. Oh, absolutely. Ma- many. Absolutely. And, and then for me, it was like, well, who wants to hear from a Lao poet? You know? 
who wants to hear from a Lao poet their story? What the fuck is a Lao poet? You know? What the fuck is a Lao community member? That kind of thing. Even within the Asian community. So then it's even that much harder mm-hmm. to say what is American, right? And then, then you want to talk about... So breaking, again, is really dope, really accepting. But you want to talk about photography now. Okay, right? let's get into that. So photography... Which uh, I have to get in because this is shocking to me because I've always been in the arts and a lot mm-hmm. of artists don't necessarily see ethnicity. They just see an artist. Yeah. So in, And that's my experience. Yep. They don't see Filipino, four-eyed, this geeky. Yeah. You know, they, they just see, oh, this guy's an artist. Yeah. But with you, it, it was different? Or are you talking about more business aspects? Both. Okay. So, number perspectives are, there's a lot of perspectives and there's a lot of lacking perspectives, right? In, in hip-hop, it's cool because there's a common denominator. We're trying to battle in breaking. Mm-hmm. You look at your skills. You could test yourselves. It doesn't matter who you are. That's why I love hip-hop. It's a universal language. You go anywhere and connect with people. But in other arts, too, there are challenges, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, tell me why uh, when you look at certain people that are part of the ambassador program, I mean, right now, a lot of it, photographers are men, right? There's a huge lack of women photographers. Um, I don't know. I mean... Good ones, but you could look up, like, there was a whole thing about the Sony ambassadors or Nikon ambassadors. Oh, okay, you know, okay, like, okay. I gotcha. Um, and and uh, I'm, not, I'm not calling them out in that mm-hmm. regard. What I'm saying is there are still industries where if you look at the portfolio of work, you look at the supermodel industry, right? Or look at models in general, right? There's a certain demographic. And then my whole thing about um, including diversity, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at my, my work, I definitely try to include all different kinds of people where it's, you know, LGBT community, mm-hmm. black, white, Asian, Southeast Asian, dark skin folks, light mm-hmm. skin folks, like trying to make beauty the common denominator, like everybody's beautiful. But if you look at a lot of work that's still out there to this day, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's still geared towards one way. And, and let's say people of color photographers, right? You, I mean, can you name... Even my top famous photographers are, are white, you know? Mm-hmm. They're, and they're dope. They're amazing. I like that. But can we name really dope people, color photographers that are American, like Asian-American dope <laughs> photographers? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm yeah, not talking yeah, about yeah. Asian. Asian's cool, but I didn't come up from that mm-hmm. in terms of like I, I didn't grow up in an Asian country. I grew up in America. So like Asian-American, name Asian, top Asian-American anything, you know, like mm-hmm. to this day. So that, that, that's, that's something that I felt like I struggled with in terms of like, someone came up to me, uh, a Lao mom, and said, because you write, because, they see, because my kids see you dance too, like you used to be a cast member for Jabberwockies, you battle, you perform, you're legit. <laughs> I don't know if I'm legit as a b-boy, but like I could back up what I do. Mm-hmm. They're like, my kids see someone like you. You know, they see someone like you and they think they could do that now or do better. Oh, yeah. The, because the fact that you exist, someone said it's and, possible. And like it gave me chills. And I was like, this is why diversity matters to me. So I'm, I'm challenged with trying to my, my main challenge is trying to be in spaces that aren't given to me or aren't available to me. And you got to be there. You got to go in there like a b-boy. Like, yeah, I ru- like, you know, I run yeah. this or like I do this and I'm going to back up my work. And that's why I'm so motivated to go into all these spaces 
whether it's the writing space, the breaking space, mm -hmm. the photography world. Because I think a lot of photography, I think art in general, yeah, we, they, people see us for our work, which means I'm going to be very confident and brash about my work. But only because I see that when someone finds out who the artist is, they believe that they could do it because they can resonate with someone like me. That, that definitely plays a big role. Yeah. I is get that, it. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, it and, does. It does. And I think that's where, um, even to this day, like, there's not that many, right? Like, there's not that many um, Lao American anything. There's not that many Asian American anything. Now it's starting to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. But only now have we only started talking about representation in film and, and in the arts as Asian Americans. Okay. But again, it's still skewed or it's still heavily favored towards a majority. And, and we're only beginning to unpack certain histories and backgrounds. So I feel like they would rather take the, in terms of a business, you go back to the business standpoint, what's going to sell the most still. And it ain't going to be my stories, but I'm still going to write about them. Right, right. You know, whether I, or not anyone hears about it. So, Well, I mean, I, I mean, part of me feels like, oh, man, there's some sad times, especially with the presidency and all these sad news. But on the mm -hmm. flip side, like, I go to Asian film festivals and you see Instagram from different countries and like, yep. oh man, they're, they're just an up in time with the art. They're not like information is helping push culture and diverse and, and around the world. And, and that brings me joy. I yes. could, I could, I could relate and talk to someone pulling. I don't even know, but they see my, my likes and I like their likes and we could chat and message and, and grow from there you yep. know, and not even see each other. So that, that to me is very like hopeful and inspiring. That's the one thing I love about the internet, which is you can share that information. It wasn't available. You couldn't find someone from like Japan. You couldn't find someone from the Ukraine or like France or anywhere. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like and if you did, it would take months to write mail or something. Or right? you have to travel. Yeah, to travel there, and out speak. there and, and see. Yeah. Now, yeah, you could. There's a lot of information out there, but you could still connect with people. Now you could you could globalize that kind of information. And some people are scared about how generic things have become, mm -hmm, you know, like mm -hmm. how generic things have, are, are being or the trends. But the thing is like, but then it's still an opportunity to create really dope, unique stuff because now you have information readily available. It's really up to you to decipher it. And going back to that digging thing. Yeah, you it have goes to back to digging. You're right. And, and the information is thrown at you. But... The true information is truly digging. That's what I love about uh, hip-hop, man. Mm -hmm. Still, like, we used to dig for music to dance to. And that used to bring me so much joy, right? Then I used to dig for knowledge, which is why I called you. I felt like there was a void in my life in, in, in the breaking world and in my style. And I had to dig and I had to find people that I respected to reach out and give a phone call and home. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and to humble myself okay and and learn from you and and that that was why i really appreciated when bug eye bandit told me to reach out to you so how did i help not to make it about me i'm just saying like yeah and again so i talked about diversity of um communities diversity of ethnicity diversity of histories right mm -hmm. diversity of people but there's also a diversity of thought that we need to tap into absolutely yes 
the complicated world of uh, of thought, right? So mm-hmm. again, like people could look at you and and be like, they they could be labeled whatever Filipino American, Asian American, this this and that Pacific Islander, Pacific mm-hmm. Islander, which is all great, and you have a history um, that your community has gone through, but also you have your own personal history and your own journey, right? Mm-hmm. And then like we don't want to be lumped into the same kind of narrative because we don't have the same narrative. You come from a punk era, you said, right? Like, punk was something that you grew up with. It was about the fuck you attitude. That that was also hip hop. Mm-hmm. But it was also like, let me express myself in a certain way kind of thing, right? Absolutely. And me growing up, and, and you were the older folks, like Rock So Fresh and all the other B-boys, play, I, you know, Play School Society. Mm-hmm. Delivery Boys. Delivery Boys, mm-hmm. Rhythm Boys, like, these were the cats. I was in high school and you guys were already the young adults. Mm-hmm. You were the peoples that I wanted to battle, that I wanted to test myself against because you guys were the bar and, and the other people I were watching that I wanted to battle, right? But when you're young, you don't understand that. You don't understand why you dance the way you dance, why you dance so different from Raynan. I think it was you versus Raynan. Or, or no, you uh, sorry, Joey Gold versus Raynan. Yeah, sorry, oh, infamous battle. Yes. Yeah, that was a call out battle. You know, Joey Gold versus Raynan, and then all the times Rock So Fresh battled, mm-hmm. and they battled like the younger cats like GFX. Mm-hmm. You know, cats that I was more close to, and it was like, let's go back to let me pick your brain because you came up differently from me. You had a different history and a different era of breaking. I came in breaking after you. You know, mm-hmm. and I, Danny was like, talk to him about music, you know, talk to him about music. Just, and when I talked to you about music and I talked to you about timing and breaking, it really helped me because I was able to understand how to take your time, how to chill out, how to, and it's cool because me and you actually, it's cool. I think we, we have certain nuances. We, we think very similarly mm-hmm. in how we approach breaking, but our styles still become so different. And I love that because the energy is still there. And when I called you, I felt like, oh, wow. Like as different as you are, it's cool that we think about it in the same regard. But there were so many things I could learn from you about taking your time and finding the right form. You're always talking about form. <laughs> like, you know, like, this is your form. You're very particular and you know exactly why you do what you do. And then for me, I question myself, do I know exactly what I'm doing? Sometimes I'm, I love being sporadic though. You know, I love, I love just being random and instinctive. Right. Mm-hmm. But it was like a warrior to another warrior. Like, let me see how, why you strike the way you strike. Let me see why you have that technique, your special technique. And not that I'm always going to copy it or take it like, literally right Mm -hmm. um but yeah so calling you like that was really good because it was diversity of thought um i i didn't think about that the way you did okay and And it brought me insight i bring that up because i remember that conversation then and i wasn't sure if i was clear and articulating what i was trying to say but then seeing your take on it that was interesting to me Mm. You know, I don't want to, like, what, this is what I do. This is what you should do. It was like, okay, this is why I did it. Now let's see what you could take from that. Yeah. And I think you were the one that said, you were one of the people that was also like, don't just think about how, think about why. Mm-hmm. 
like what's the motivation right and that motivation doesn't come in like how do you learn from someone's style mm -hmm. how do you pick up what they want in their detail first you learn about the why then you do the how because the why will, will motivate you and get you there then it made me think about everything like then now we think about being retrospective i have to think about why i do what i do now right mm -hmm. and that why always guides the how oh i agree <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. and um yeah so whether it's breaking whether it's photography advocating for the community um I like it to be purpose-driven. Sometimes it's great to have no purpose because sometimes as artists, we shouldn't have a purpose. Oh, it's always about the journey, right? Yeah, it's yeah. It's always about the journey. We have to be expressive, but um, knowing the why would really help. And and it, it, it has always been a common denominator for me, like the one the one kind of star if I feel lost to, to understand why, why am I doing this? Why am I at Berkeley? Oh, yeah. Why am I breaking? <laughs> so, you know, things like that. That's good. I was digging... Always yeah. finding out yourself. Always like, I guess, culture driven. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, and culture is so important now. You know, and the here's the thing: we, I get it. I'm not. I wasn't the only kid in a school full of white people. I wasn't. I was definitely in a very diverse place. But once, once you get past that, you start to realize there's so many complexities within people and our people and everyone else, right? That we need to unpack even further. And I think we're finally at a phase where we can actually talk about those things, where it's people's mental game, their mental health, their cultural game, their art, like how they perceive art, how mm -hmm. they perceive life, you know? And we're still trying to break boundaries and break barriers and break glass ceilings. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, again, actually, uh, I mean, talked about my professional life in terms of uh i'm an engineer i'm a optical engineer right oh you're pulling in more things yeah, like, yeah, and, yeah and and not to get crazy into it but i am back to being first of all i'm one of the few san diegans there's a lot of people that move into san diego i'm also one of the only Lao people at my company like i know maybe one or two more mm -hmm. right um and that's vastly different from uh you know people from china that work there or like other chinese americans mm -hmm. or you know white folks just um and you know all the all the all the asians all the kinds of people right i, I don't know anyone that has something similar to me being an engineer being how i came up so the cool thing about work is people want that diversity they want to have people that came from many many different backgrounds mm -hmm. right but being where I come from, I know that I, I feel a little bit different, right? And that also motivates me because then I can inspire others there you go. To, to be an engineer, you know, or to do, like, do whatever you want. You don't have to be an engineer, but hey, the path is there. Right. But it, it does feel lonely. That's the tough part sometimes. Not, not that I need anyone else to uplift me, but like sometimes it's cool when it's not a <laughs> thing that you have to be concerned about. You know, like people can pick up on your nuances. Got it. Going back to the nuances, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in a professional environment, even with engineering, the cool thing too is we're trying to solve technical problems, right? But solving technical problems is cool. Um, solving the kind of missions that we're doing is cool. 
but you also have to reach out to certain people that do not understand that because they didn't have the resources for opportunities to learn about these things. That makes sense. Completely makes sense. Yeah. Um, especially the science field, right? Who, how many people from Southeast came out to be scientists or engineers or people in college, right? Well, I'm, I'm, but, a, I'm an automotive technician. Yeah. So with a technical mind, it's hard to, to connect with a lot of people that don't have, that are like technically not in sound, you know? Yeah. They're not cultured or diverse in that sense. Yeah. Like it's yeah. hard to make them understand like what's going on, you know? Yeah. And, and okay, you look at, you look at uh, certain fields, the biotech field, right? Um, you look at the biotech field, you look about health, you look about how do people get into the world of science, right? Mm-hmm. You want to look at DNA and all that. But it's like, how many people in these communities study that? How many people have that kind of funding? And then now you expect people to like work in these fields? Uh, like it's not that uh, simple. Yeah, yes, yes. It's not that simple. So then we have to reach out to certain communities for STEM. Well, now they say STEAM because art is just as important, mm-hmm. right? So like you reach out to these communities and say, this is what you can do, you know? But if we don't, we don't bridge that gap, everyone's just going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, we could just do science. But for what purpose? Are we trying to serve better communities? Are we trying to look about health? Mm-hmm. Are we going to look at health um, only for those who could afford it or, like, you know, for those that can study it? Mm-hmm. Or are we going to reach out to people that it hurts the most mm. or that it affects the most? We won't know that. We won't know who the brightest person is going to be in this community, the biotech community, unless we reach out. So um, in, in the, the biotech field and the college spaces and the uh, engineering fields, right, you, you, you have a certain group of people that come from certain backgrounds, right, traditional backgrounds, but those kinds of uh, educational foundations for the biotech, whether it's engineering, optical engineering, chemistry, chemical engineering, bio, bioinformatics, like, these sort of things aren't even um, talked about in schools where a lot of the future generations can, can know about, you know. And, and there's an issue there because people are trying to study math. They don't know why. Oh, um, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> that's me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I did horrible in school. I didn't understand, like, how can I apply these things? There's yeah. no point. Where, where's the application? Mm-hmm. Th- even physics. I, I did physics and astrophysics, physics, right, as a major. And it's like... There's so many applications for that, but I didn't know. I had no clue. I had to find it. Mm-hmm. But for the younger generation, you could tell people about what, what can be done in biotech. But if we don't reach out to these communities, they're never going to know about that. They're never going to know why uh, software or, or coding or software engineering is important. They're never going to know why bio is important besides studying cells. Mm. right? And, and to certain communities that do understand, they're, they're already there at the head start. We got to pick up the people that are struggling. We got to pick up the people that have no clue or like. But they have the mind for it. They have the mind, mind for it. But they don't like, I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. They have the drive and the passion. They just don't know where to direct it. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was me my entire life. Mm-hmm. And, and no one was telling. There's like, be an engineer, be a doctor. I was like, what the hell is an engineer though? Now I know there are a million things in our life that you could do that engineering applies to because there's many different engineering things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. So like now when I go to college talks, I, I come with that in mind. I, I go to community colleges. Sometimes I do poetry workshops. I do uh, talks about professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, as an engineer, I talk about, and I talk about, I try to speak to a diverse 
group of people because I want them to know that we need your minds. We need your background. We need your motivations. We need where you come from. Sometimes somewhere, someone along the way is going to forget about you. But the fact that you're there, you're going to remind them that we need to look into these certain communities, right? Right. Um, and it, that, that happens in the health field. Um, there's a lot more people that can talk about health and, and certain uh, communities of color that have certain health issues that we don't know about or we don't understand properly because not enough research is being done on it. Not enough PhDs are being done in it, right? Absolutely. So we're, we're having great progress, but there's so, so much work to do in, in so many industries. And my goal is to make sure that I can shorten that gap wherever I can, whether, again, whether it's the arts or the technical mm-hmm. field or the educational space or the, you know, or even media or breaking or anything. It's like, that is one of my goals to, to shorten that gap so that we as, as a community mm-hmm. and, and as just Americans can evolve and, right. and, I'm with you 100%. Yeah, like we could we could do this. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's not like it's not like uh you did this bad or your history is whack or this is why things are the way they are. It's like let's understand our histories. Let's understand the struggles. Let's understand the lack of diversity that happens and let's let's take some action. Let's let's go in there. Mm-hmm. Let's take more photos. Let's write more poems. Let's write more scripts. Let's be in more films. Let's be more, uh, you know, in the college spaces or whatever. Oh, you yeah, don't have yeah, to be yeah. in college space. You could be an artist, be a YouTube artist, be a Twitch gamer, streamer, whatever. Whatever it is, it's like just have that conviction to know that you're needed in yeah. that space. It feels there's more adversity and lack of culture than it should be the opposite. Yeah. And, and, Completely. And remember, these are these microaggressions that we don't talk about too much, right? Right. Because, yeah, and I am sad for this world too in our climate where – there is a lot of truly blatant racist things happening, right? Mm-hmm. There are truly like really fucked up things in our political climate, but there are also these, we always, I, I, me and you have shared that word, the nuances, <laughs> these little details about microaggressions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and certain things that can hinder us and we don't even know. And that's also the next step of, of how do we evolve and how do we break these things down? Because those are little things that um, they linger, man. That's true. All right, man. It was like I could talk for days with you. You're, yeah. Like, there's a lot I knew. It was an honor, man. And no, thank you, man. Lancer, thank you so much. Real Optic. quick, what, much love um, to you, Optic. So, um, where can we like, if anybody wants to know about your photography, arts, your science, how can they connect with you? Like, you can find me uh, on Instagram uh, at bboy lancer, and then my photography is at snap pilots, um, spelled correctly, snap pilots. And then Satu Press is at S-A-H-T-U-P-R-E-S-S. Mm-hmm. Um, for your poetry book, right? Yeah, for Which poetry. Which is uh, Travel White Elephant? Uh, Dance Among Elephants. Dance Among so Elephants. So I'm working on my second book. Um, but Satu Press is the, the conglomerate. It's the larger press. We're trying to um, uplift other writers and, and all that from uh, mainly Southeast Asia, Southeast Asian Americans. But we're, we're going to open it up even more. But yeah, you could find me there. My real name is Chrisada Punsiri. You could find it somewhere online. <laughs> um, and Casanomi is Lancer. Just, just, yeah, connect. And, you know, if you have an idea, let me know, you know. Perfect. Well, thanks for being an uh, American where diversity is our culture.
Thank you.